Please turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. Hebrews and chapter 2. And I'll read parts of three verses, the beginning of verse 13, where Jesus says here before he comes into the world, he says, I will put my trust in him. And then down in the beginning of verse 14, since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. And down in verse 17, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. In our recent sermons, we have been looking at Jesus, the man of faith. and Much of our study has come from this book of Hebrews. And we find very, two very important themes in this book of Hebrews. And the first is faith. We may view the entire book of Hebrews as a long exhortation to enduring and persevering faith. And the second great truth we find in the book of Hebrews is the true humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has always been God from eternity, and he continued to be God once he came into the world, and by his incarnation, he added to his divine nature a true human nature so that he became that one unique person who is God and man in one person forever. But during the time of his earthly life, he laid aside his divine privileges and he lived as we must live in this present world as a true man. And we have brought these two truths, these two truths of the book of Hebrews together, faith and the true humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have seen Jesus as the man of faith. And we see it stated very clearly in these verses that we have just read. In verse 14, the writer tells us that in the incarnation, he partook of the same flesh and blood of all the children of God whom he came to save. And then in verse 17, he tells us again that he had to be made like his brethren in all things, in all of their weakness, frailties, limitations, yet without any sin, so that he might come to know our experience and all of our trials, our struggles, our sorrows in this life having been made like us in all things so that he might live like us in all things, sin accepted. And this is what the writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, where he tells us that Jesus is a great sympathizing high priest who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And that life, like ours, must include the life that we must live by faith. And so Jesus came and lived with the same dependence and the same need as all of us with trust in God and in his word. And he gives a very clear statement in verse 13. I will put my trust in him. 
as if he makes a kind of promise to his heavenly father that when he comes into the world, this is the kind of man that he would be and this is the life that he would live. He would come into the world and be like his brethren in all things and I will live a life of faith as well. I will put my trust in him. So that in every trial, affliction, suffering of his life, he lived with complete confidence and trust in his heavenly father and in the promises that the God had made to him in the word, just as all his brethren must do. I will put my trust in him. Whatever pertains, whatever pertains to the life of faith for us, pertains to the life of faith with Jesus Christ as well. He is the pioneer of faith. He is the great forerunner, the author and perfecter of faith. And he has gone before us and we follow him now in this life of faith. In our previous two studies, we have looked at two different stages of his life. Jesus, the man of faith. First, we have seen his faith from his infancy. And second, we have seen his faith in the time of his public ministry. This morning, today, we come to the faith of Jesus in his death. Jesus, the man of faith in his death. And we'll begin this morning in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll read verses 8 through 16. Verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, and fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore also there was born of one man and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having received them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The great theme of this chapter is the Old Testament saints and how they lived by faith and they are all examples to us 
in our life of faith. And the writer here is leading up to the greatest example of all in the life of faith, who is our Lord Jesus Christ, who he will mention in chapter 12 and verse 2, where he says we are to be fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. These verses that I have just read, they speak especially of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, but they speak not only of them, but of all the Old Testament saints, all of those mentioned throughout this chapter. And the writer tells us how they lived in this world during the time of their earthly sojourn. They lived by faith, always looking to a better country, as he says in verse 16, to a heavenly one and to the city whose architect and builder is the living God. And as they lived by faith, so when they came to the end of their lives in verse 13, they also died in faith. The beginning of verse 13, all these, all these, they died in faith without receiving the promises. Not that they had not received promises, but the meaning is without receiving the fulfillment of the promises. Abraham received promises, very great promises, but he never saw the final ultimate fulfillment of those promises in his lifetime. God gave Abraham the promise of land, and when he came into the land of Canaan, God said to Abraham, Genesis 13 and verse 14, he said, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land which you see, I will give it to you for your and to your descendants forever. The promise of a land forever, the promise of an eternal land that was given to Abraham and then God promised to Abraham many descendants like the stars of the heavens and even more in number than the sand which is upon the seashore. In Genesis 15 and verse 6, God took Abraham outside at night and he said, Look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said, So shall your descendants be a promise to Abraham of more descendants than the stars of the heavens. And as we see at the end of verse 12, more in more innumerable than the sand which is by the seashore. And then God also gave to Abraham the promise that one of his descendants, one of the seed of Abraham, would be the Savior. And through that Savior, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And God said to Abraham, in you, all the families, all the nations in your seed shall be blessed. So Abraham had promises of land, promises of a great many descendants, promises of the Savior. But Abraham never saw the fulfillment, the final ultimate fulfillment of those promises in his lifetime. He was in the land of Canaan, but Abraham knew that that earthly land was not the final fulfillment of the promise. He was looking for a heavenly land, for an eternal city which God had prepared for him. As we read of in verse 10, he was looking for the city 
which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And the same thing down in verse 16, as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And that's what he means in verse 13, when the writer says, all these died in faith without receiving the promises. They died in faith. They died still believing in the promises, yet without ever seeing the fulfillment of those promises in their lifetime. The same could be said of the promises of descendants, more in number than the stars of the heavens. Abraham and Sarah, they died with very few, relatively very few descendants. But they were looking to that future kingdom of spiritual descendants, of many believers like themselves. The children of Abraham are always the children who have faith in God. And concerning the Savior, Abraham never saw the coming of the Savior in his lifetime, but by faith he saw him and welcomed him from a distance. As Jesus said in John chapter 8, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And so the saints here, they all came to the end of life, they came to the time, to the hour of their death. And yet they had no evidence and they could not see the fulfillment, the final fulfillment of these promises. And yet they still believed in them by faith. And they trusted that God would fulfill every word which was spoken to them. This is the way it was, as he says in verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them, having seen the promises and having welcomed them by faith from a distance, though they were a great distance in the future at that time, they still believed in them when the time of death came. Death is the disintegration of every man and woman in this present world. Death is the end of our existence here in this present life. It is the end of all that we may have hoped for. It is the end of our desires in this world. But faith, faith triumphs over death because faith looks beyond death to the things, the invisible things of the world to come, to the promises, to the things that God has promised in his word. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 1 of this chapter, And when the hour of death comes, then the hour of death is the greatest victory of faith. Because faith still believes God will fulfill every one of his promises to us. 
the promises of God that they had believed all their lives, they still continued to believe in them when they came to the hour of death. And they rested their souls on this great reality that God would make every word of promise true to them. All these died in faith, still believing the promises, yet not yet receiving the fulfillment, the final fulfillment of them. We could ask ourselves a question at this point. Can death triumph over the promises of God? Can death negate the promises of God or bring to an end anything that he has spoken? Or we may make it perhaps a little more personal to ourselves and we may ask the question of ourselves, do I believe, do I believe that my death can bring an end to the promises of God to me? Do you believe that your death negates the promises of the eternal and everlasting God. It can never be. The promises of God can never be canceled by my death. The promises of God transcend me. And his power and faithfulness and his love extend beyond anything in my life and my death. He is the eternal and everlasting God. I may die, but he lives forever. And he will bring to pass every promise that he has spoken. And this is the way that these saints died and they believed in faith. They died in faith that the promises would still be fulfilled to them. We remember that promise that God spoke in Jeremiah chapter 11, 29 and verse 11, a promise that is for all of his people. He says, for I know the plans. He says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Can death bring an end? Can death bring an end to the promise of God to give us a future, an eternal future, and an everlasting hope? It can never be. We die, but his promises continue. And the eternal, mighty, and omnipotent God still has plans for us that extend into the eternal welfare into the city of God that he has made for us and into that heavenly land which is to come. This is how the saints of the Old Testament died. All these died in faith without having received the promises. Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and all the Old Testament saints always looking to that eternal kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth, in the city of God, whose architect and builder is God, a city with a great multitude that no one can count, and all of them clothed in white robes, 
and a glorious and beautiful king upon a throne in that city who is the Savior, the Lord Jesus. They would die, yes, they would die, but God would bring it about by a resurrection and raise them from the dead and bring them into that heavenly land and that glorious city. But we are studying not the faith of the Old Testament saints this morning so much, but we are studying the faith of our Lord Jesus and his faith in his death. And what we are saying here is that he had to die in faith just as all of his brethren had to die in faith. Having been made like us in all things, he had to live as we do and come to the end of life as we do and die in faith without having received the promises. Everything that pertains to the life of faith for us pertains to the life of faith for Jesus. He is the pioneer and the great example of faith for us. And so what we say here is that this is the same for Jesus, that Jesus died in faith without receiving the fulfillment of the promises. And what we want to do this morning is trace out simply one promise which really embraces all the promises of God the Father to him as his beloved son. And it is the promise of the eternal kingdom. And we find it in, we'll look at one passage in the book of Daniel and chapter 7. Back in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, Daniel, just after the book of Ezekiel. And here in Daniel chapter 7, we'll read verses 13 and 14. And we read verse 13. Daniel says, In his vision, I kept looking in the night's visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. In verse 13, Daniel saw this heavenly vision. In the middle of the verse, he says he saw one like a son of man, which is our Lord Jesus. And then he says, and he came to the, up to the ancient of days, who is God the Father, and he was presented before him. And then in verse 14, we have the promise of the Father to his beloved Son, the promise of glory, dominion, and a kingdom. We see there in verse 14, and to him was given dominion. Dominion is sovereignty, power, and rule over all things. Dominion is given to him. And then the promise is for glory to be given to him. Majesty and splendor of a throne as a king in heaven. Dominion, glory, and then a kingdom. A kingdom in which he would be king and his kingdom would extend over all peoples, over all the nations and men of every language, so that all the nations would serve him, all the nations would come 
and worship him. And his dominion, he says, would be an everlasting dominion which would never pass away. All the kingdoms of this earth perish, but his kingdom is the only one that is everlasting and will never be destroyed. We notice briefly, just briefly, we summarize the points of the promise. To him, dominion, power, and rule. To him is given glory, majesty, and splendor. To him is given a kingdom of many peoples, nations, and they will come and they will serve him and they will worship him and it will be an everlasting kingdom. It will never pass away and it will never be destroyed. This is the promise of God the Father to his beloved son. And when Jesus came into the world as a man and made like us in all things, living as we live in all things, Just as we come to know the promises of God to us in the scripture, so Jesus came to increasing understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. And he came to know that these promises, this promise here spoken to him as the Savior. That to him would be given this dominion, glory and peoples and everlasting kingdom would belong to him. Many other passages we could speak of that speak of the same promise. Psalm Psalm number two, God says, as for me, I have installed my king, my king upon Mount Zion, my holy mountain. And he says to his son, ask of me and I will give you all the nations as your inheritance. Isaiah chapter nine, a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government, the government of the kingdom will rest upon his shoulders, and there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse five, God says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch, And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. All of these were the promises of God the Father to his beloved Son. And faith is always built upon the promises of the word of God. And just as we build our faith upon the promises made to us in Scripture, so Jesus built his faith upon the promises of the Father to him in Holy Scripture. And then when he came into the world, he began his public ministry and he announced the coming of this glorious kingdom. We turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And verse 17, Matthew tells us from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The very first public words recorded in the gospels. Matthew tells us that this was the message that he continued to preach. From this time forward, it was a message of repentance that men must turn from their sin 
because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The only way of entrance, the only way of entrance into this kingdom of heaven is through repentance, turning from sin to Christ by faith in him. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, the kingdom has come in my person. He is announcing the glorious kingdom. The kingdom promised in the Old Testament scriptures, the kingdom of the Old Testament prophets and Daniel, this kingdom of glory over all the nations, this kingdom in which men would serve him and worship him, a glorious everlasting kingdom. Jesus now has come and the kingdom is at hand. In the beginning of this chapter, Jesus answered every temptation of the devil with those words, it is written. And he would have done the same thing here as he thought about this kingdom. It is written in the Old Testament scriptures. And there is where the promise of the kingdom is built upon the word of God. So the kingdom of God's promise has now come in the person of our Lord Jesus we look down to verse 23, and we read, And Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of that kingdom of heaven, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So the kingdom that he has announced now in his public ministry, he continues to labor all of his days in the announcement, in the preaching of the kingdom of heaven that has come. We turn over to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11. And we read verse 11. And Jesus said, And I say to you that many shall come, many shall come from east and west, and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the kingdom of heaven. In the previous verses, Jesus marveled at the faith of the Roman centurion. And that Roman centurion was an example of the many Gentiles who would come into his kingdom from east and west and from all the peoples and from all the nations. They would enter into his kingdom. It was the kingdom that had been promised by Daniel that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. And it was the same kingdom that Abraham had seen so long before, where his descendants would be more in number than the stars of the heavens and the sand of the seashores, because all who enter into this kingdom, there is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they are reclining, and Christ is the great king in this kingdom. This is the kingdom that was promised by the Father to the Son. He has come to announce it, and he has come to build it, and he is calling men to repent and enter into it. I say to you, many shall come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in that kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus goes on in the Gospel of Matthew. He has many things to say in this Gospel about the kingdom of heaven. 
We'll turn for, to one last passage here, which is in the gospel in chapter 26, in Matthew chapter 26. And verses 26 through 29. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is the last supper of Jesus with his, his disciples. It is the eve of his crucifixion. And Jesus knew what was about to take place, the hour of his death upon the cross, had finally come. It was the hour for which he came into this world. In verse 27, he took the cup in his hand, which contained the fruit of the vine, and after giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, and we may imagine him holding the cup in his hand before them, and then he told them, drink from it, all of you, and in verse 28, he told them what that cup represented. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The blood he speaks of is the blood that he will soon shed upon the cross. His hands nailed, his feet nailed to the cross it will be the blood that John speaks of in his gospel when one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately there came out blood and water. He says, it is my blood, the blood of Jesus, the blood of the Son of God, the blood of Jesus, his Son, that cleanses us from all sin. It is the blood that was most precious, the most precious blood that there could ever be in the sight of God, blood of the infinite value to him, of which Peter speaks knowing. Peter says that you were redeemed from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers with precious blood, with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. It is his blood that he speaks of. Not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of the Son of God. He says, it is my blood of the covenant, the new covenant. It is the blood that will purchase all of the blessings of the new covenant. Jesus speaks of the forgiveness of sins. This is the blood, the only blood that can take away our sin. It will be blood that is poured out, he said. Blood that is poured out for many and for the forgiveness of their sins. All the blessings of the kingdom are purchased by this blood. 
the blessing of the Holy Spirit's work, the blessing of regeneration and the giving of a new heart, the blessing of reconciliation and peace with God, the blessing of justification and adoption into God's family, the blessing of eternal life and an inheritance in the world that is to come, the blessing of fellowship with God and the blessing of membership in his kingdom. All the blessings of the prophets and all the blessings of the new covenant are now being purchased by the blood of Jesus at the cross. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But Jesus also knew that that blood, by his blood, he would die upon the cross. And it would be the blood that would bring him to death. And at the Last Supper now, he is preparing himself for death. His death is coming. His death is imminent. And though he is about to die, he still looks forward beyond his death in faith to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, as he says in verse 29. But I say to you, he says, I will not drink this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I shall drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I will not drink the fruit of the vine again with you in this world, but I will drink it again with you when that day comes, when that day comes when I return from heaven in all of my glory. And when that day comes, I will drink it with you new in the new heavens and in the new earth. And I shall drink it with you, with all of my people, in my Father's kingdom, in that glorious kingdom that my Father has promised me and will give me, in that great banquet table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of us reclining at the table, and that marriage supper of the Lamb, the same kingdom which Abraham saw, the same kingdom that Daniel prophesied of, the final everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ with all of his people. The kingdom he had announced, the kingdom Daniel had promised, the kingdom that Jesus had announced in the beginning of his ministry, the kingdom that he had labored for, all of his life in proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And now he comes to the end of his earthly life. And he is now about to die upon the cross. And the question is, where is this kingdom? Where is now the evidence and the proof of that glorious kingdom that was promised by Daniel 
and the Old Testament prophets. It was a kingdom. It was a kingdom that was promised to him and he was to be king sitting on a throne. But he has no throne. He is going to a cross. It was a kingdom in which he was to have dominion and power and rule. But he is in utter weakness. And he is to be arrested and condemned by men. And he will pour out his blood in death. It was to be a kingdom of glory. But he has only shame and the horror of a crucifixion. It was promised to be a kingdom of all the peoples and every nation and men of every language who would come. And he even said himself, many will come from the east and the west. But here he is in the upper room with this tiny band of only 12 disciples. One of them has already betrayed him and the others will all abandon him at the cross. This kingdom was supposed to be one of all the peoples and every nation. But he has preached only in this little piece of land called Israel. And he has come to his own people. And they have rejected him and despised him and forsaken him. And Daniel said that all the people will serve him and worship him. But soon they will cry out for his crucifixion. Crucify him. Crucify him. They will cry. It was to be an everlasting kingdom that would never be destroyed. But here the king of the kingdom is about to die upon a cross and be laid in a tomb. Where, where is the promise of this kingdom? Where is the proof of its coming? At every point, at every single point of the promise, everything seems to have failed. Everything that the eye can see contradicts the promise. The whole promise seems now to be in vain. How can Jesus even speak of a kingdom in verse 29? My father's kingdom. How can he even speak of that kingdom under these present circumstances? The answer is, Jesus spoke of that kingdom by faith in the great God and the fulfillment of every promise that he had spoken. Jesus was dying in faith, having not received, without having received the promises, without having received the fulfillment of the promises, having been made like his brethren in all things, he was now dying like his brethren in all things. He was dying in faith, alone in the promises of God. All these died in faith. As we turn back to Hebrews chapter 11, all these and verse 13 
all these died in faith without having received the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, they still believed in them. Jesus went to the cross, still believing in Daniel chapter 7, that to him would be given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, and that all peoples and all nations and men of every language would come and they would serve him and worship him in everlasting kingdom. The death of Jesus was not the end of the promise. The death of Jesus was his entrance into the fulfillment of the promise. And Jesus died in faith, believing in God's promises. Before he came into the world, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 13, he said, I will put my trust in him. And that was the way he had lived all of his life, in trust and confidence in God and in the words of his promises. And now Jesus, as he comes to his death, he says, I will still put my trust in him. And the fulfillment of every word he has spoken Though I see no evidence, and though I see no proof of that glorious kingdom, I know that my heavenly Father, he is the God who cannot lie, and he will fulfill every word he has spoken. Jesus died in faith without receiving the fulfillment of the promises. So he was made like us, and he lived the life of faith as we all must live. And he has gone before us as the great pioneer of faith, even unto the end, as he died in faith. We close our time this morning with three applications from what we see. And the first is that Christians can die with great hope peace, and comfort. Christians can die with great hope, peace, and comfort. Death is the king of terror to all unbelieving men in this world because the unbeliever knows that after death comes the judgment of God. He knows it in the depths of his soul, and so he lives in the fear of death all his life. But for us who know the Lord Jesus, the terror of death has been removed. Death is our entrance into the presence of God that we have served and worshipped, that we have loved and sought to obey with all of our hearts and to follow him. Death is not the end of his promises. It is the entrance into the glory of his promises and the fullness of joy that belongs to us there. Verse 13 says they died in faith. They died in faith, which means they died in the hope and the comfort of faith in all the promises of God to them. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So to die in faith is to die in the assurance of the things hoped for. 
It is to die in the conviction of the soul that the things which are invisible but promised, they will all be fulfilled. There are two powers here in those first words in verse 13. There is death and there is the power of God and his promises. Who will win? And who will conquer in that great struggle? Death can never overcome the power and faithfulness of God to his promises. Jesus has conquered death for us. And he has gone before us. And he has entered into his eternal kingdom in heaven. And we follow him now. And he is our pioneer, our great example. And we follow him into his eternal kingdom. To die in faith is to die with the words that Paul spoke to the Corinthians. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Christ has conquered it. Thanks be to God, says Paul, for the victory that belongs to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so to die in faith is to die with great hope and comfort and peace and to be brought into that kingdom of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the kingdom, at the table in that glorious kingdom with our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see him face to face. A second thing we can say this morning as we close our time is that Jesus is able to help us to die in faith. Death is a fearful thing for us, an unknown that we have never passed through. But it is Jesus. Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. He is the one who knows the way of faith. He has the power to give faith. He has the power to keep it to the end. And he, when we come to the end, he will still be our great high priest who still sympathizes with us in all of our weakness and one who has been tempted in all things as we are tempted. And he is still able to give us grace that is sufficient. In every time of need, he whose grace has always proved sufficient for us in every need of this life. And he whose power has always been perfected in our weakness, he will be the same when we come to the end and his grace and power will not fail. And he is able to give us help that we will die in faith with the comfort and the hope and the peace that faith alone can give us. A third thing as we close this morning is if we are to die in faith, then let us live by faith. If we are to die in faith, let us live by faith. The writer tells us in the beginning of verse 13 that all of these died in faith. They died in faith with the hope and the comfort of faith because they lived 
in faith. First, first, we live in faith, by faith. Then we die by faith. And they died in faith because at the end of the verse, it says, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. That's how they died in faith. They confessed that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. This earth was not their home. This earth was not a place where they were seeking to build an eternal lasting kingdom for themselves. They were only strangers. They were only exiles here passing through to a better country, to a heavenly one, always looking for that city which has foundations and whose builder and architect is God. Always looking for that city that John speaks of in the Revelation, the holy city of God coming down from heaven that has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it for the glory of God has illumined it. And its lamp is the lamb. And they confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth looking for that eternal city. They confessed it not just by the words they spoke, but by the lives they lived. And they lived loose with the things of this present world. That's why he says, Back in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, by faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, all of these great saints of the Old Testament, they lived their lives with loose attachments to the things of this present world. They shunned unnecessary encumbrances. They laid aside hindrances that would hold them back from the life of faith. Abraham was a very wealthy man. And Abraham could have owned much land in that promised land of Canaan, but Abraham owned nothing. The only land he purchased was a burial plot for Sarah. And that's all he owned. And he lived in tents. And he confessed by his life that he was an exile and a stranger in this present world, always looking to the world which is to come. Now you know I am not telling you to go and live in a tent. And we can own things that are for our physical good in this world. But the lesson is from these saints that there is always a danger with the things of the world, that our hearts become too attached to them and we begin to love them more than we should. 
and our hearts begin to be weighed down with the dissipation and the worries of life. And our hearts are hindered from that life of faith in God and in the future promises. As it was with Abraham, so it was with Jesus. He died in faith. And what did he own in this present world? But the garments that he wore, and even those were taken from him when he hung upon the cross. One man writes of the blessedness of owning nothing in this world. To die by faith is our desire. Let us live then by faith and let us follow their example best we can with our hearts untied down, unhindered, unencumbered that we might always look in faith to that promised land and by our lives confess that we are strangers and aliens in this world looking for a better country. Let's pray together. Father and gracious God, thank you for the example of your people from so long ago and how they lived their life of faith and how they died, all of these died in faith as they continued to look to your eternal promises. And thank you for that great example, that preeminent man of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ who died believing in your eternal kingdom. Lord, have mercy upon us. Give us the grace, the help, the strength we need. Take away all of our sins and everything that would hinder us and help us that we would live by faith, that we may die in faith as well. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are so concerned for your people, that you are able to give us all grace that we need. And you are able to give us the comfort, the hope, and the peace that we need in our souls, even to the end. So help us now, help us to receive your word, and bless it to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.